This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and our latest podcast comes to you once again from our Weatherworks headquarters in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And as always, joining me today is my co-host and fellow meteorologist, Mike Mahalik. Good morning slash afternoon, Mike. <laughs> yeah, same to you, Brad. Uh, great to be here on the lounge, as always. It's uh, it's interesting to see that you dropped those little nicknames that you used to give me. Uh, yeah, but I'm okay you with got it. tired I'm of okay it. it. I couldn't come up with any more nicknames. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, I ex- exhausted them all. That's the word I was looking for. Right, right. So, Brad, we have a good guest on the program, though, this time, right? Yeah, he is a return guest and a a great friend of Weatherworks and, of course, of uh, Frank Lombardo, our CEO and owner here at Weatherworks. Uh, Neil Glatt joins us on the podcast once again, and he is here to recap this year's Snow Fighters Institute events. And, of course, we'll talk a little bit about the upcoming winter, Mike. We had our winter uh, outlook go out last week uh, on the podcast, so kind of get an idea of maybe what Neil thinks about this upcoming winter, too. Well, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting winter, a different winter, that's for sure, with uh, El Nino uh, getting involved this year. Um, but it's always a treat to have uh, Neil here with us. Um, uh, he has so much information when it comes to the snow and ice business, and we're always glad to share that with our audience out there um, to try to help them out with their businesses as much as they can. So, hey. When we come back, Neil Glatt will be joining us here on the Weather Lounge. Don't go away. Hey everyone, it's Mike Prianti from the Weather Lounge here, and let me tell you, dehydration is no joke. I went through it myself once, and it's not fun. You get headaches, muscle spasms, cramps, the whole nine yards. But proper, functional hydration is essential for just about everyone. Sometimes, though, water may not be enough, and that's where Liquid IV comes in. They're the number one powdered hydration brand in America, and their hydration multiplier is something you're most likely missing in your daily routine. You don't even have to be a sports professional to enjoy it either. With just one stick, you can hydrate twice as fast than using water alone. It has three times the amount of electrolytes than leading sports drinks. It's made from non-GMO ingredients, and it's chock full of essential vitamins. I personally enjoy the passion fruit flavor, but there are other great refreshing flavors you can choose from as well. So whether you're out landscaping, plowing a parking lot in a snowstorm, heading out for that afternoon jog, or even just feeling run down, Liquid IV is your go-to source for all hydration and wellness. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WEATHERLOUNGE, capital W, capital L, at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WEATHERLOUNGE at liquidiv.com. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. So let's get right into it and reintroduce our good friend here, Neil Glatt. Neil, welcome back into the Weather Lounge. Hey, thanks, guys. Always happy to be here and love what you're putting out there for the industry. Yeah, we always try to put out the uh, most valuable information that we can come up with, Neil. And part of that is uh, in large part to what you can offer for us with your snow and ice expertise that we can tell our uh, listening audience out there. So, Neil, I think one of the biggest things that you're involved in here is uh, Snow Fighters Institute. Um, And we've talked about it in the past, but why don't you give us a quick rehash of uh, what the Snow Fighters Institute is all about and how how it helps the snow and ice industry? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Snowfighters Institute is is a company that uh, my partner, Phil Harwood, and I purchased a few years ago from John Allen. He started it in 2010 and was really looking to create the, the highest possible level of education for snow contractors and um, great networking events. And we've had the opportunity to uh, iterate on that vision and, and that heritage uh, since that time. And so uh, really simply, we put on um, events around the country from April to September. Uh, we do about five of them a year. Uh, they're all over the place, so there's always one close to where you're located. And for two days or so, we take uh, between 25 and 50 snow contractors who are all looking to get to the next level. We put on some uh, education. Everybody gets a workbook. There's a lot of peer learning and, and networking that happens. And we have a good time too with some um, really exclusive tours that that nobody else uh, has has set up for the industry um, of different facilities, different manufacturing locations, um, but also some some unprecedented access to uh, vendors and and um, people like like all of you folks at Weatherworks as well, right? So um, with our partners, we've been able to really create something very very cool and. Uh, if you haven't been to a Snowfighters Institute event, you're missing out on probably the best kept secret in the industry. I mean, absolutely, 100%. A lot of great information that you guys give there. Uh, I think um, I think Frank Lombardo was down at one of your events. Um, was it at? Uh... Yeah, Frank came to uh, the event in Tucson. It's what we call the Inner Circle. Um, so the Inner Circle is is sort of our flagship high level strategic planning event. And uh, last April, we were in Tucson, Arizona at Caterpillar's uh, Proving Ground. And I'm sure you guys all saw some of the photos. Yeah, we saw some of those pictures, too. Those machines are humongous. Humongous, (laughs) right? And um, it's funny. One of the the guys couldn't make it at the last minute. He goes, I really want to see the machines. Can, Can you set something up? I said, well, I'll ask. And I asked my, my guy at Caterpillar, I said, how, how does someone get this tour? And he said, Caterpillar basically has to be assured or f- firmly believe that you're about to purchase one of these $5 million dump trucks. Oh, and uh, <laughs> by the way, that, that price, that price is without the wheels, which cost over $150,000 each. Yeah. I think I remember Frank saying something to me about that over the summer. Yeah, he did. Cause when he got back, he was talking to uh, us about, uh, I think we're actually out playing golf and he, he mentioned something about that, but yeah, the tires don't come with, it, with the, the tires machines. don't come with it. Yeah. They, they <laughs> assemble it on site. So, um, yeah, we, we, uh, were able to arrange some really cool access to this proving ground. Um, check out the, the snow fighters Institute, Facebook or, or Instagram, uh, to see some of the photos of that or LinkedIn. But, um, basically it's a dump truck whose tires are, I don't know, 10 or 12 feet tall each. And, um, you take, uh, three flights of stairs to get up to the cab, which by the way, the cab is just a normal cab. It's just two seats in this little glass box <laughs> up on top of the thing. Um, but you'll see a photo of like the 30 of us that were there lined up down the stairs and across this, this operating platform of this dump truck. And, uh, so we got, you know, a whole half afternoon tour of, uh, that facility driving around really cool. But also, um, great dinner, great networking, a couple of nights in a row. And so this year, uh, we're not going back to Tucson. Instead, we're going to Peoria, Peoria Illinois. Um, so just a little south of Chicago. This is also with Caterpillar. Uh, it's where Caterpillar was started. 
They have the Caterpillar Museum where we'll be having our meeting. This whole museum is built around one of those giant dump trucks. Oh, wow. uh, and they, yeah, so that's where we'll be meeting. Really great facility. Uh, I was just chatting with Cassidy who, who puts on all of our events and she's got a um, uh, really great um, uh, microbrewery uh, for, for one night and a steakhouse for the next night. Um, and we're hoping that we can get a tour out to the proving ground in Illinois as well. So, um, see some of these machines in action, if not actually be able to drive some while we're there too. Do they, do they actually build them there? I mean, that that's their main headquarters. Uh, no. So, so they're not built here. This is the kind of historical headquarters. Gotcha. So lots of cat, Caterpillar folks work there. Um, those huge dump trucks are actually built on site. I was told there's no, there's no factory for them. Okay. Um, in 2025, we'll be going back down to the backhoe assembly plant and and skid steer manufacturing facility uh, just outside Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, so that's that's where the inner circle will be uh, for the next few years. Um, they also have factories in Brazil and uh, the UK, um, but but we'll be in Peoria in April. So. Um, really cool. I've never been to the museum, but I've done the whole, they have a whole 3d virtual tour on their website and this place looks, looks very, very cool. Well, I, I guess that's true with machines that big though, because you can't really put them together and then drive them or take them to a place that they are going to be delivered. To. I mean, I, I don't know how else you would get them. They would have to be all, uh, I'm, I'm thinking what I'm thinking is like Boeing. And, and when I lived in Charleston, South Carolina, that they built a Boeing plant there and they actually had a dedicated plane that would bring all the different parts yeah, super to build the plane yeah. right and then they would fly the plane the completed plane to wherever it was going to be delivered to it was pretty cool yeah very cool so I've, I've done that uh factory tour in everett washington too okay yeah they had the two in everett and then they built one in charleston about 10 years ago yeah really cool um so anyway this is just fun stuff and uh caterpillar is an, is another phenomenal partner of ours who's um putting this on and so we're excited for that to be our flagship event to kick things off that is going to be uh, the third, fourth week of April. Um, and for all of these events, you can go to snowfightersinstitute.com, check out the details, the dates, the locations, and register. And um, that was a sellout event last year. I'm expecting it gets sold out probably by mm, March 1st at the latest. So if, if it sounds interesting, I wouldn't delay. And, um, you know, you also get two days of, of education. We have a 200-page a workbook. We go through... Uh, strategic planning for your company. We talk about sales approach. We talk about um, snow portfolio management. We talk about operations. We talk a lot about hiring and leadership and the stuff that uh, owners and CEOs and senior managers need to really run their business. Um, and uh, it's it's really a, a phenomenal event. And then um, after that, in May, we're headed to uh, Massachusetts, right up the road where I am. We're going to um, a Caterpillar dealer up here. This is, um, it's, it's called Milton Cat. We'll be at their central parts facility. Uh, this is cool for a different reason. They have 99.7% uh, of every cat part ever made in their facility in stock. And the other 0.3% they can get uh, overnighted. Um, and, uh, this facility is largely autonomous. Um, so when you walk around, they're always warning you to watch out for the robots and these parts flying around and they have, um, it's the central, uh, distribution center. 
I think they have uh, 10 or 12 other facilities throughout New England. And every single day, except for Sunday, there is a tractor trailer truck that goes from the central location to all the other ones. And so you get to see all that operation uh, in process. Um, and we'll get some uh, walk arounds of equipment there. But this two days is all about sales. So um, you guys have been around long enough. You've, you have seen the big shift in snow contracts getting sold in April and May instead of, you know, September and October. And I think maybe as an industry, we're really sort of 50-50, right, between who signs up in the spring and who signs up in the fall. And so for those companies who are like, 2024 is going to be our year, we're going to make some big gains in, in market share and sales and a profit. Well, we're going to put on these two days. It's a it's a sales clinic. And um, I've had people whose first day in snow sales was with me at these. And then they go on to become the top person and exceed their their sales quota in their company. And I've had people who have been, you know, trying to sell for a long time and come in and, and we get them on the right path. But uh, you can start 2024 real, real strong from a sales perspective by attending the forum for sales uh, in Massachusetts. Although we are going to do it again in August in Detroit. Um, so we're going to go hang out with, uh, our friends at Troy Krog landscape and hot pink de-icer. And, uh, we're going to do the same event in Detroit as well. So depending on when you want to focus on snow sales and maybe geographically where you're located, those are two options. And then we have two additional options, um, for operations folks. Uh, so at the end of July, we'll be in Milwaukee at Western headquarters. Uh, where they manufacture the Western plow. Um, and we'll be at Storks Plows, who is a very large Fisher Western uh, dealer just outside Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, these events, again, are the same event offered twice, once in the middle of summer, once, you know, leading up to the fall, um, depending on, on uh, when you're in snow mode, basically, or how seriously you're taking it really great for anybody who's a manager in snow removal all the way up to directors of operations. And, um, you know, we have, um, Rob, uh, real from weatherworks come out to most of these events. Um, and, uh, at the sales one, he, he does a great job of presenting how to use weather data and long range forecast and, and snowtistics and climatologies for business planning. And that's a huge asset for the sales and, and, you know, building a profitable snow portfolio, no matter what, but boy, is he great at the operations events. Um, he, he did a ton of work with our friend, uh, Levi jet from jet facility consultants, um, building this mock storm scenario. And, uh, for two hours, we go through a whole mock storm and it's like, you're in it, man. You get the, the weather works, um, you know, uh, winter, warning or, or winter alert right, the heads ups and the alerts and everything that we uh, all of our products that go out to our yeah even before that brad you get the you get the winter risk outlook oh back. i got you yeah, the, the winter risk right? yeah we'll, yeah so so you're sitting there and it's like here's the winter risk and and you're thinking okay i'm two days out and this might happen and then the seven day from weatherworks and then the the three day and then the storm alert the heads up right and then the verification along with everything levi's put together of here's your org chart here's your site map and and in between each, you know, 48 hour jump, we stop as a table and, and individually brainstorm what we're going to do. We come together as a group and, and really 
build out these scenarios and there is just no better way to practice than that. But to create all of that, I mean, the amount of work that Rob and Levi have put in and the, the quality of this hypothetical scenario is unbelievable. And that's just two hours of our two days. So it's a really phenomenal um, experience. And uh, I mean, it's funny. I, I attended Snowfighters Institute all the way back in 2012, right? So um, I got my start learning sales, had a sales coach, attended Snowfighters. And it was so important to our success at, at Case Snow that I ended up buying the company, you know, seven years later and, and being able to continue on that legacy. So it's been really exciting to be able to do that. Right. I mean, it just goes to show how much more data and information is at your hands when it comes to the weather. Um, when you're talking about that storm scenario and how, um, people in the snow and ice industry can utilize this information to capitalize and, and, and put out their best schedule and their, and their best staffing and um, work their budget properly. And, and that's where you guys come in too, to, okay, here's all this information and here's how you utilize it. Right. I mean, and, and, uh, when, when I talk with Rob about what are we going to present, I never let him cut out the how to use radar presentation he gives. Cause it's like, I, I've, we, you see radar from, if you turn on the news for more than 10 minutes, you see mm -hmm. radar, right? right? So we're so familiar with like this particular tool that you assume you know how to use it. And then you talk with Rob or any of you guys for 15 minutes and you realize, I don't have a clue <laughs> right. completely wrong, making all these bad assumptions and every storm just getting more and more pissed at meteorologists. Right. Yep. When reality, I never was taught how to use something so simple um, the right way. And so making it actionable, um, I think is really critical. And I know that there's a lot of people listening right now who are being like, I've been to snow fighters. I've been to Sime. I've been to, to ASC. I've been doing this a long time. Like, a hundred percent, man. I'm not trying to tell you that there's something you don't know. I'm trying to say, this is where you need to send some of your people, right? Where I see more and more people right now coming from the restaurant industry coming from, yeah, uh, we have, we had a guy who was an operations manager, but came from, um, he was a personal trainer just, you know, two years ago. Um, we see people from landscaping. We see a bunch of young people. We see all these people who haven't had that same experience. And it's like, man, in two days, I will get them ready to rock. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's quite the feat, I'd say. Um, it's it it's amazing that you know you guys have those things together to give to new people and get them ready to go that quickly. And you know, I I know you're doing a huge service uh, to the snow and ice industry by doing that. Well, you, you know, successful companies do it. Like you guys do this, right? You yeah. have, you have two longer than two days. You have these trainings every year in half day, two day segments. Mm -hmm. um, you know, over the summer and the winter. Yeah. Correct. Right. And so um, I know because, uh, you know, you've invited me to share the contractor perspective, which I think is what you guys really care about so much more is like, what is a snow contractor actually thinking about? Um, and how do we build our products to, to be of service there? But um, the amount of training that it goes to, I heard the best story the other day 
which was a guy who um, uh, came from special forces, right? He goes, you know, when I was in special forces, we spent a whole year preparing for maybe a dozen missions. Most of what we did was train because the, we, had to, we had to perform at perfection when it did. We only got one shot, couldn't screw up. So we spent 80, 90% of our time training. And then he goes, you hear about issues with police today, right? And he goes, police officers don't even have to spend 40 hours a year training in a lot of precincts. So if you're spending 2% of your time training, how can you expect that you're going to get great results when it comes time to execute? And look at the highest performing teams in the world are spending most of their time not executing, training, right? And, and for sure, we have to adapt those percentages to what's reasonable and affordable for time. But man, I mean, I observe you guys as the premier meteorological consulting service training like crazy even for people who have been doing it a long time. Well, I was just going to say to Mike, you know, I've, I've been with Weatherworks now for almost eight years. Mike's been there for probably like 45 by now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Rob and Sean, they do a great job with both the summer and winter seminar. And, and it's not repetitive. There's always new stuff that we're learning. And, and I've been a meteorologist now for 20-something years myself, just in different um, – you know, different areas, both, you know, TV to private to where, what have you. But I learn something all the time and you're constantly learning when it comes to the yeah. weather and forecasting because the weather's always changing. And it seems like every year there's, there's a new, oh my gosh, I've never seen this setup before. How, what's going to happen here? Yeah. Or a new technology or a new tool. Right. And, and I mean, those, the, the, um, math behind those models changes what quarterly right so like you guys got to stay up on that and and it's probably even more and more i don't know i'm not in it i I don't follow the weather like you guys do anymore but um i've heard how important it is that regardless of your tenure you're keeping up because as soon as you stop moving and growing you get left behind yeah it's true and you're right i mean these models do change an awful lot and what you need to learn is that you learn a certain bias of a model like this, this model wraps up a storm quicker than this model, but then they make an update to try to correct that bias. And then you got to relearn that bias (laughs) because it doesn't do that anymore. It does something different. Um, So there's always things changing. There's always new technology. It seems like now that um, more of the AI is getting involved um, and, and trying to use that machine learning to create these forecasts and outcomes and, and, and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, like you said, Neil, you can't sit on your laurels and say, well, I have over 15 years of experience. I don't have to do anything anymore. Yeah, so, so that's our gripe all the time with social media and um, just, you know, you see, you see, everyone sees their apps and of course, and, and anyone can throw something on, you know, Twitter or X, wherever you want to call it in Facebook and say, Oh, look at this model, but they don't get the human element. Like when we put into our forecasts, I mean, we, that's, that's the difference from looking at a model and say, wow, you know, it's gonna be two feet of snow in Boston. Well, you know, the model's not handling this right, or this, you know, th- then that's where our human element and experience comes in. That's what makes WeatherWorks different, I think, from everyone else. It's, I, uh, I was listening to a podcast on, from an AI expert talking about the, the state of AI and, um, uh, chat 
GBT, of course, is what most people are familiar with, right? Yeah, sure. So, you know, it's it's called GPT-4 because it's the fourth iteration. And so um, the the expert was describing that they actually use size of brain as comparisons, right? So the first, you know, iteration was the size of whatever brain. Anyway, the fourth one is this huge breakthrough, massively impressive when you use it. But it's the brain size or neural pathway capacity of the the brain of a squirrel. Like that's how big it is, right? <laughs> and so when you're comparing to a team of humans, right? And that power and and discernment that you lose with an AI tool, which is its brain is the size of a squirrel, you're like, well, we're at least in business for a few more years, right? Like there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's a noticeable outcome. And, you know, you never know when that's going to show up or how that's going to show up, right? Something could look pretty good on a given forecast or whatever. But um, as we discussed, there's always unique setup. And and those those tools are, are built on the strength of um, predicting based on past performance, which is, you know, one thing that Rob's shown us is at these, at these events is, you know, the difference between historical averages and, and, you know, future performance and, and how often do, do these things reoccur? And it's like, wow, past prediction is not that great at what's going to happen next year, but really valuable for figuring out the range of possibilities, which is actually less variable than you might think. Exactly. I'm, I'm glad you talked about this. And um, um, I don't know, this might be a good time where do we want to start going into um, talking shop about the snow and ice <laughs> industry and uh, uh, for lack of a better word. And, um, you know, just kind of go through a few things that a snow and ice professional should be concerned with. Yeah, I think we we talked about this with, with Phil, too, when we had Phil on the podcast. Right. So we have a few uh, questions for you, Neil, that sure. uh, our listeners uh, might want to know about. Um, but in your opinion, I would say, um, when it comes to snowstorms, what's the biggest concern? We've heard a lot of people are saying, well, timing is the biggest concern or amounts the biggest concern or, you know, when the heaviest falls, when the pavements cover. So we have a lot of different variables out there. But is there one solution to this what's the biggest concern or is it kind of like a multi multifaceted thing from a weather perspective um <laughs> you know there's there's always two questions that i really really want to answer right um that the top two questions that i'm always looking at when i'm when i'm anticipating a snowstorm are am i plowing or salting right if i can answer that question with any sort of certainty it really helps me out because plowing is, you know, five to eight times as labor intensive, radically different set of costs. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole different operation than, a, than assaulting. So I'm always looking to, uh, you know, what are my chances of plowable versus salt, saltable? And if it's, you know, more than 60% plowable, I'm all in on that option, no matter what. And then, um, the, the second question that I'm really, really concerned with is what's my start time, right? Because, um, every minute that people are sitting around on site, not servicing is costing me a lot, a lot of money, yep. but every minute that they should be plowing and they're not, is probably costing me more. Right. Oh, wow. So Never thought uh, of that. I, yeah. So I want to, I want to figure that out the best I can, um, because I'm going to put down salt 
I'm going to change my approach depending on time of day and my customer needs. And, you know, again, I'm going to iterate a million decisions off of that thing. So the better the, the start window, and of course there's some follow-up questions like what's the intensity going to be and, you know, all that kind of stuff with it, but start time and plowable versus saltable are always my top two questions. And then, you know, my second tier is, yeah, intensity, um, duration and, um, uh, water content or water, you know, uh, snowfall ratio. Um, because then I'm going to start to make some intelligent decisions around when I'm plowing over salting, how long I might get out of those staggering start times, shifts, that kind of stuff, you know, um, end time, generally not that important. My guys are out and they're going to finish out the storm. Um, uh, what else? Uh, snowfall depth, honestly, not that important. I don't really care if it's four inches or six inches or eight inches. Right. Once you get past that plowable threshold, right? If, yeah. So as long as it's, unless if, if it's, it's like, not, a, yeah, unless it's significant, right? A couple so feet, right. Exactly. Right. And you know, market to market, that's different, but there's, there's tranches of, of approaches here. And I just got to figure out which one I'm, I'm executing. Levi jet from, from jet facility consultants has a whole rating system. He calls it SnowCon, right? And it's color coded. And it's like, here's what we do for assault. Here's what we do for ice. Here's what we do for a two inch to six inch plow. Here's what we do a six to 12. It's so smart, right? It's just, there are like five plays that we can run depending on the type of operation. We're going to contextualize those plays to the time of day and the customer requirements we have. And I need my weather support to tell me which, which play I'm running. Right. Right. Now that sounds really useful for <laughs> and it simplifies things so much and you don't even really think about it but yeah yeah interestingly levi former military police before he was a snowplow guy right <laughs> he's like oh you know so so levi worked at case uh after i did so we never got a chance to work together that way but this guy went to over 40 states to manage snow yeah wow. and it's like all he ever did was walk into a situation where people had no idea they were untrained and he's like i gotta figure out a way to take them through this before it happens i gotta get proactive with my training here and he's like the only thing i ever really did in the military most of the time was <laughs> be trained so i know how to do that and he built he, he built a great system he has a book on amazon preparing the snow fighter um quick easy read check it out i mean this stuff exists uh i'm excited about the opportunity of being able to pull some of it together uh in Snowfighter institute events um but man i mean rob was teaching me how to use radar before i was ever convincing him to teach other people how to use radar right like you guys are doing webinars all the time so i was gonna um, say yeah rob did a dedicated webinar just to that radar yeah go go watch that like don't wait for the Snowfires event to hear that 20 minutes of of amazing content like you need it this winter guys right so um Anyway, it's it's exciting to be able to curate some of that together to introduce some of what I know from sales and, and operations, but really, um, you know, uh, I, I view it as as curating the experts together for this education, and uh, I think we can all become better um, when we do that. So, Neil, we talked about the snowstorm um, and what you're looking at there. Um, since we don't, is an ice storm then? similar or does that make it easier because you're not talking about big time amounts and differing amounts of snow or because you, you just know you're salting or 
How does that go? I, ice usually goes poorly. <laughs> <laughs> the ice plan is... <laughs> the ice plan is do what you can, man. You Just know, keep and, salting. Yeah, and so, um, you know, operationally, that's simple to say. Um, it's paying the ass for everybody. And, right. and you, of course, are, are starting to be concerned about how safe are our crews on the road driving these big, heavy trucks, you know, when it's that slippery, too. And do we have enough material? But really the training here is like, how are you going to account manage this? Right. Cause you're, you've made some promises to your customer about what they could expect. And some of them are contractual. And uh, depending on the time of day, this, this could be, you know, pretty, pretty tough out there. So how do you prep the client for the ice storm? Right. Um, how do you convince them to close if they can? How do you, how do you manage that conversation? And, you know, for salt routes, uh, I mean, depends on what size truck and what size accounts you have, but one, one operator salting is doing a tremendous amount of payment, right? Because generally speaking, they're rolling through these parking lots at, at a decent speed. They got their spreader on their truck turned up to be broadcasting out 25, 30 feet uh, as they're driving through and they can cover a lot of distance. And when they can't move because it's icy or they have to be using two or three times the amount of salt because it's built up, uh, you are really behind the eight ball very quickly, right? And so um, it's it's managing all of that dynamic that makes it super tough. Now, if it's just some glaze ice, okay, that's not that big of a deal. But an ice storm is real not fun. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be the opinion of most snow and ice guys. <laughs> when we say ice storm, they they don't they don't like those words in any way. They're difficult to forecast. I mean, they're they're very a lot of times localized because you know thirty three in one spot's fine, you know thirty one with rain is uh, not fine. <laughs> you know, a couple of miles away. You know, it's it's an interesting um, concept, and of course, um, the the more dense your sites, the less travel time uh, you have, and and maybe you can you can increase service without increasing overhead as much. Um, but really, when I'm talking with snow companies, we're at the inner circle. When we talk about this. I say, you know, the safest play is actually to go bigger, not to sacrifice density, but the more microclimates you can you can have in your portfolio the more chance you catch that weather and the bigger ability you have that there's not weather happening elsewhere. Right. So, and this doesn't mean like go national or go even multi-state. I did most of my snow removal based around Massachusetts. That's where we were headquartered. Right. And so in Massachusetts, we have Cape Cod that sticks out into the ocean. And then we have like the Worcester Hills where you're above sea level. You're it's only an hour drive from the beach to the mountain but you have this, you know, probably five or six different microclimates uh, in between. And um, there were some, uh, I guess, stereotypical setups where it was warmer by the beach and colder in the mountains. That would happen, you know, often, but sometimes they'd be swapped, right? Depending on the storm track and Cape Cod would just get hammered with snow and wind and they'd have nothing out in Western. The storm would miss them completely because it kind of moved out to sea, right? And so once we moved from like, two counties to six counties in Massachusetts, my guys would like play the shift all the time because they wanted to work. And so we could easily take someone from the Cape and send them to Worcester. It was two hour drive max, not a big deal. Um, and we could actually 
get more resources to where the weather was happening with less overhead. Now, we didn't want to do it at the expense of density because local density is always the biggest driver of profit, right? Eliminating windshield time. But when we had a bigger area to cover with that density, we could just play the shift and things were great. Yeah. And and you're absolutely right from a weather standpoint of those changes in, in a place like Massachusetts. I mean, just look at last year. I think Boston had about 12 inches, but a place like uh, um, Fitchburg had, uh, uh, I believe it was somewhere near not, uh, 80. Yeah, there, <laughs> there, there were like some that. crazy gradient elevation uh, snows last winter. So I could see. That's 90 minutes, 90 minutes on the highway, right? Uh uh, depending on, on what time of day you try it. So, um, yeah, not, not that far. So I could see your point of casting that wide net and that way you can catch a snowstorm here where it's raining in Boston, um, and still have work to be done. Yeah. Cause you know, early on, um, you guys probably remember what year it was. Uh, we, we had the most snow in, in Boston history when I was managing, right. It Mike was, was forecasting up there then. Um, still 13, does. 14, <laughs> yeah, 112, 114 inches, something like that. Right. Every storm was a big one. Almost every storm was a big one. It was all, <laughs> all in four weeks. Right. Um, but the year before it, I believe directly before it was the lowest in Boston history, like nine inches. Right. Um, so I had this crazy experience to have the heaviest in Boston, the lowest in Boston, and I think seven of the largest individual storms in in Boston, seven of the 10 largest storms in, in Boston history during my tenure um, while I was there. And so, um, but in all of those years, same number of storm systems moving through, right? And, and honestly, the change, as, as you guys will testify way more than I can, super minute, 100 miles this way or that way, five degrees this way or that way, right? So, I think you can really easily get caught up in these huge trends and global warming and whatever you want to talk about. The reality is there's so much just dumb chance with where these things end up and what's going to produce. And if you look at the number of setups a week before, they are remarkably consistent, right? If you look at the number of chances of it's like every winter is the same number of weeks, that much we know for sure. Right. So there's only so many weather systems that can move through. The question is, will they produce or not? And that year, four in a row just hit like crazy, uh, which is absurd. But it, it wasn't like this was an unusual pattern. We just got, you know, one in a hundred four times in a row. Right. And yeah, I remember that year distinctly because every forecast I've felt like I was making was starting at, well, let's start this one at eight to 12 inches and we'll see where it goes from here. <laughs> Cause that was, you know, it seemed like I'd start there. And then, you know, after the, all the models stopped their waffling and everything, we're, we're getting 10 to 20 or whatever it may be. And it was like every single storm, it seemed like. So at least in that situation, you knew you were getting a significant storm right off the bat. Um, so you can plan on that. Those are all in March too. That was like the end of the winter too. Um, no, I don't. February. February. Yeah. Oh, February. I'm thinking, maybe I'm thinking of the, of the year where we had like four nor'easters in March. Yeah, um, that was a different year. That was a different um, year. That's right. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> they kind of blend together after a yeah. little while. Um, 
but I'm uh, Neil. I'm sure. I, I think I know what your answer to this question would be. But um, when it comes to the snow and ice storms, proactive or reactive when it comes to snow removal, I'm sure you're in the proactive camp. Uh, I don't know how you can either, uh, <laughs> how, how you can do anything. But I mean, it always shocks me when I come across a company that's like, "Yeah, we just wait for it." You know, it's like. <laughs> Believe me, we 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 have calls sometimes. That, yeah. Well, I'll I'll just I'll see if the police call me or something like that. And you know, it, it's just a state of mind. Maybe it was there for years and years and years, and then you know that's just how they did things. You, you know, that's that's the thing. Every year that goes by, there's just less and less customers who who want that. Right? As a society, we are more instant gratification. Um, you know, look, when I started in 2010, we could hire construction companies to come plow for us, right? Because they just laid everybody off all winter. They don't do that anymore, right? If it's not actively snowing, they are still constructing. They have new methods, they're more time pressure and, and more money. And so they're, they're out there working. And so um, you just see these trends over time and they're not slowing down, right? No construction company is like, oh, we're going to take time off. No, no customer goes, yeah, you know, it really wasn't worth because the reality is the customer's paying the same, right? If if it's at the most basic level, and I, I you shouldn't have an hourly snow contract, but at the most basic level, it's going to cost you the same to be really proactive as it is to be really reactive in terms of hours spent on site plowing. It's, in fact, some people make the case it's more expensive to be reactive because it's it's slower to clean something up, right? We pre-treat because it cleans up really easily. I mean, we say all the time, right? When you cook eggs, you put down butter or oil so the cleanup is fast. And if you don't take the time for that step, you actually cost you more time in the end in cleanup. And the same is true of snow removal, right? So um, there's, there's no downside to being proactive. There's no added costs. They might be different costs, but they're not added when you consider it all. And um, one lawsuit is all it takes to dramatically change that cost equation. Just thinking in general for the snow and ice guys, I know, Neil, that you deal with a lot of uh, big commercial type accounts and things like that. What about the little guy? Um, What about the guy who's trying to plow, you know, some residentials or something like that? Um, What do you have to offer for that? Um, contingent of people because, you know, maybe that they're getting a start there or, or maybe they want to work to a, a commercial contract. We, we had somebody um, who, who showed up and they're doing like 300 residential driveways all within one zip code, you know, and, and when I first met them, they said, we hate snow. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, why? <laughs> right. Like it's so, it's so much profit compared to everything else that you do. And basically they said, we just get so many complaints and all these people, you know, and, and, and what came out of it was there was no system, there was no communication, there was no software, there was no verification. And so it's like, look, all the software exists. I mean, mostly for commercial removal, but you can adapt it for that too, right? So I don't care if what we're selling is a $300 um, contract or a $3 million contract. The process is the same. You still have to figure out what it takes. Still have to come up with a fair price. Still have to uh, go over it with a, a customer. Like, I mean, the biggest contract I ever sold was was over $5 million, right? A piece of paper that had accounts that totaled $5 million a year in snow removal or more. You know, the number of presentations I made 
the, the questions that they asked, the objections they had were identical to the number of meetings, the questions that they asked and the objections they had when I was selling $25 a week lawn cuts in Detroit. <laughs> right. It was like, Oh, well you got to come back. Cause my husband, my wife, whatever. Right. Like this time they said, you know, our VP wants to see you guys the same thing. Like you don't meet 50 times to sell a $5 million contract. You meet twice or three times mm-hmm. just like you do. And so there's no difference in the process. They still want to know when you're coming. They still want to know the status. They still want, there's tremendous amounts of different work that happens behind the scenes to get that but the actual decision makers are operating shockingly identically. So when I'm training salespeople, when I'm training account managers, it's the same thing. And our operational approach is the same. You still have to know when the snow is going to start. You just have 300 people individually to potentially complain versus one store manager, maybe. Right. Um, which is its own, you know, it potential issue. And a lot of people are saying, why would I ever do that? Well, there's good money if you do it the right way. Right. So, yeah. Well, it's good. It's good to know that your your strategies and um, operations that you present in Snowfighters works for both the little guy and the big corporate guy. My my favorite person is a little guy who wants to who's who's a good guy that wants to grow, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're we're recording this uh, in the middle of October, right before it gets re- released in a few weeks, but. Um, I had someone who was a little guy, real little guy, mm-hmm. uh, hired me to help them learn to sell. They sold out capacity, $500,000 in new contract. And I'm telling you, they are juicy, profitable contracts. Because they were like, hey, we keep getting told we're double the rate. I was like, it's okay. We're going to make it work. They sold out October 17th. Wow. Oh, my goodness. They're going to make money hand over fist. They're going to keep their customers so happy. They're going to be so financially set up because next year they're going to close in on two million bucks. And it's like, that's what I like to do, right? So, you know, if you're there, you have a snow company, you want to get an extra 100000 in revenue, okay. But, like, if you're really ready to get to the next level, and that next level might not be just revenue, right? That might be profitability. That might mean your personal time, like, Maybe you want to do what Troy Clog does and spend most of your winter in Mexico, like have everything <laughs> else get run. Like, I don't care who you need to run this thing. We can help you do that with snow fighters. So if you're ready to jump to that next level, whatever that means to you, like we're excited to do that for you. All right, Neil, I think that's a good stopping point right there. Um, I love talking to Neil. He's just, I, he, he just, I don't know. I, I get, I just love talking to Neil. Whenever I see him, you know, I don't see him that often, but whether it's on a podcast, I saw him in Milwaukee, uh, a couple summers ago at Sima and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just good to see Neil and talk to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys will have to, uh, tell Rob to bring or, or Frank to bring you with to uh, some of the Snowfires events this summer. So you can come hang out again. <laughs> there you go. That's perfect. Uh, well, Neil, thanks for being on the show. Um, any uh, last things you want to uh, plug before we uh, wrap it up here? No, man. I hope we have a great winter. I hope it snows like crazy for everybody who's listening, and um, we we get back to uh, some some good profit this year. Hey, look out for February. That's all I want to say. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it can't. I mean, <laughs> compared to last year, I mean, it's got to go up. That's for sure. Snow mounts. <laughs> All right. Well, again, Neil, thanks again for being with us. And, uh, you know, for us here at the Weather Lounge, um, that is the show for this uh, week. Remember, we'll have a new show every two weeks. So 
please come back and visit us again. And as always, visit weatherworksinc.com for what we do over there at our company. And also, you can find Weatherworks anywhere on social media. So just search that name and you'll pull us up with some latest weather information. So thanks a lot, everybody. And we'll be back soon.